Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Integration Chronicles, the only podcast focused on ecosystem integration brought to you by Clio. We're your host, Tushar Patel. And I'm Frank Kenny. Ecosystem integration is the modern innovative way to extend and augment B2B integration. It takes a process-centric approach to orchestrate, connect, and integrate the core revenue-generating interactions and operational services. Partners, shippers, carriers, enterprise applications, and e-commerce marketplaces can leverage API, EDI, and file-based integrations on the same ecosystem integration platform, all with the necessary governance and control optimized to support mission-critical interactions in real, just-in-time, and batched cycles. Every couple of weeks, we will dig into relevant topics with industry leaders and integration experts with a specific tilt towards the supply chain. You'll learn how to grow your business faster, pick up best practices for scaling your organization, and discover new ways to drive operational efficiencies. Follow us to get up-to-date alerts when new episodes are available. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Integration Chronicles. My name is Tushar Patel. I'm the CMO here at Clio, and I will be your host for today. Super excited because I have a very, not just a fun guest on our side, but somebody who's very knowledgeable, somebody who had the opportunity to meet several times at uh, company events and industry events, and also just, you know, alongside grow each other's business. I have with me Mr. Michael Hagerty, who is the Vice President of Technology at La Perry Foods. And that is La Perry, like pear, because that was something that Mike corrected me on the very first time I met him. I'm glad he did, because I say it correctly. Mike, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. All right. Well, Mike, let's start off and jump right into it. Let's start with some introduction. So you started off at La Perry. I believe as a systems analyst and just have grown your way all the way up into a vice president of technology, you have ownership of a lot of the technology and a lot of the strategy behind the technology at LaPerry. Uh, tell us a little bit about your role and tell us a little bit about LaPerry. Yep, sounds good. Yeah, so we're a specialty food distributor based in Detroit, uh, Michigan. Um, we are uh, typically retail facing, so our, our Typical customers are um, retailers, whether they're tier one, uh, independents, niche. Um, we're pretty bad with geography. Um, we cover uh, 18 states out of Detroit, uh, which is a good thing. So I have everything under one roof for all of the consumer demands, whether it's a consumer in Chicago, a consumer in Pittsburgh, a consumer in Miami, Florida. Um, having all of that product under one roof ready to go um, is really a competitive advantage for us. Um, we're a direct store uh, delivery distributor, so I have, you know, drivers and sales associates throughout the country um, that help sell the product and help provide value to our retail customers. Awesome. And so, Mike, what I missed was, I don't know if you're allowed to share, and if you're not, that's great. Uh, it's okay. Um, how many food and beverage manufacturers do you have today that you support? So we have over a thousand vendors that we support um, across uh, eight thousand customers in our uh, distribution footprint. Awesome, that's that's huge, right? Eight thousand. I mean, I I I literally go to like two stores, and I can't even imagine having eight thousand stores in my network. 
along with, you know, and, and a thousand vendors, that's not a thousand SKUs, right? Your, your business has multiple SKUs, obviously multiple products you care from each vendor. So do you, do you have any idea of how big of a database and how big of, um, you know, a catalog that you support from a, from a number of products perspective? Yeah, we have uh, 35,000 products that are available. Um, we also specialize in um, promotional and specialty items. So we will help reset a store for the holidays. Um, and we've grown and diversified with our product category to where we will actually reset the store every couple of weeks. So if we start out in January, right? You start out with New Year's, then you go into Valentine's Day, then you go into St. Patty's Day, you go into Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day, graduation, um, 4th of July, um, and then on into Labor Day, back to school, uh, Halloween, Thanksgiving, the holidays and Christmas again, and then back into New Year's. So it's been ever uh, evolving. Um, so kind of like when you walk into a retail store and you see, you know, the bakery department has, you know, pumpkin pie and all of a sudden they have a uh, uh, happy new year and all they have is, you know, Valentine's Day. We help assist our retailers and our vendor partners in helping uh, deliver that experience to our customers throughout our network. Got it. And, and since you're dealing with, like you said, specialty foods and, and all that, you're dealing, are you dealing with both perishable and non-perishable uh, foods? Yeah, so we have ultra perishable. So we're talking products that have days shelf life on it um, through imports that go out to multiple years. So every every concept in between. Got it. So so you've got to be as an organization, you have all sorts of different levels of service that you have to maintain. I can imagine that's a pretty complex business. So how do you maintain competitive differentiation? And maybe maybe that's not a fair question. Maybe what is your competitive differentiation? Then if you're able to talk about how you're able to maintain that competitive differentiation, that'd be awesome. Yeah, definitely. So we, um, we provide retailer advantages. Everything we do is, is customer centric. So we are a um, first and foremost, a specialty food distributor. We also are a value add manufacturer. We've vertically, vertically integrated some of our suppliers over the past 10 years to help uh, deliver product with the uh, longest shelf life. Um, and then help reduce shrink. So I don't have to buy a product from vendor A, it sits in my warehouse for five days and then goes out to a customer with a 10 day shelf life. We're able to do uh, forecasting with our customers, bring it in, produce it on a Monday, ship it out on a Monday night, um, which extends the life of that product now at retail for you know 18 days um, to, to really give a competitive advantage to both our retail partners and the end consumer as well. Got it, Mike. And I, you know, I have a dumb question for you because I, I, I feel like I should know this, but in with your business, do you own and manage warehouses or are you picking up directly from, from your food and beverage manufacturers? Um, so typically we're a distribution company. So basically the product is manufactured out in uh, different locations throughout the country or out the world. And then we consolidate it into our warehouse in Detroit and then ship it out. Um, we do have some third-party manufacturing locations outside of Detroit where we do uh, cheese conversion or, or processing value add. We do confections and um, we have a USDA plant that does um, sandwiches and wraps as well. Hmm. And then also some specialty grocery stuff. So it's a little bit of everything. Got it. So if I walked into a store tomorrow 
would I see a La Perry branded wrap or a sandwich or, or would it, or do you go out to market with a different brand? Um, so we are very unique in that our branding is consumer facing. So a consumer that is walking up and down the aisle at the supermarket, they're either buying a La Perry brand or one of our 30 um, private brands that we own and market, or they're buying a national brand. So you're either going to buy a pick a nut uh, roasted nut, or you'll buy a planter's nut. You'll buy a, a Michigan brand cottage cheese, or you'll buy a national brand cottage cheese. So our branding is through our retail partners, uh, consumer centric. It's, it's, it's in the face of the consumer every day in the aisles. They're choosing it at the deli counter. They're choosing it at the bakery counter. Um, so it's definitely direct to consumer marketing through our retailers. Love it. That's great. Well, you know, um, I don't know. I'm out in California, so I don't know if you have any retail uh, customers out. Do you have? Do you extend all the way to California? I know you're you're heavily focused on the Midwest. Yeah, we do. So we do. Um, we have some exclusive distribution with uh, Saint Pierre is one of our uh, partners. We handle all of their distribution throughout the world. Um, so we do have uh, Saint Pierre brioche bread out in the uh, state of California. Awesome. I'll have to take a look and, and, and try to find that uh, the next time I'm out there. So, so, so here's a question, all right? I'm, I'm just going to dig into kind of current market trends and, and what we're hearing and seeing. And you know, you're somebody who is in the thick of it. You're not only a technology expert, I consider you an industry expert when it comes to you know, food and beverage distribution. And one of the things that we're starting to see, and I've experienced this recently, um, is we're starting to see some empty shelves on the market for the food. Um, definitely been seeing it for apparel and some of the things that are coming from overseas, but a lot of the food is here, manufactured here in the States. So you don't have to worry about, you know, cargo containers and uh, on, you know, waiting out there in the ocean. Uh, but, but it's all here, you know, with, within the, the, the 48 states in many cases. And one example that I have is my, my wife runs a preschool and one of the staple snacks that they have at the preschool is, is animal crackers. And man, let me tell you, when the preschool ran out of animal crackers, that was a big deal, right? I mean, teachers are freaking out. Her, her director at the school is freaking out. She's calling relatives. Hey, if you're, if you're in XYZ retailer or, or ABC retailer, take a look out for animal crackers because I can't find them anywhere. And so, but we're hearing conflicting information. We're hearing information that there's a food shortage in, in some publications I've been reading. And then there's other publications saying, well, it's not really a food shortage it's really a distribution challenge that is stemming from labor shortages that, that you know, have a ripple effect all the way down from you know, warehouse workers to truck drivers to, to delivery folks. So from your perspective, you know, is there really a problem right now? And, and where, where are you seeing the problem or the challenge? Yeah, definitely. So we're, you know, we're 18 months into it right now, right? We're at the end of uh, December, 2021. And if we were to back up to, you know, Q1 of 2020, when, when this started to happen and, and, you know, January, February of 2020, um, from that point, it required, you know, every distributor partner, every manufacturer, every retailer, you know, to prevent hoarding. We had to make sure that customers weren't just taking all the product and then, you know, marking it up at whatever price they wanted. We had to make sure that consumers weren't going in just emptying shelves and causing chaos. So it really uh, started back then as far as making sure that we had product on the shelf for, um, for consumers. Um, if you fast forward now 18 months to where we are at the end of 2021, the evolution that we're in, it's still chaotic because now you're dealing with 
like you said before, complete supply chain issues, manufacturing issues, parts, labor. Um, as consumer trends have changed around the food, you know, different channels, whether they're going to go click and collect, whether they're going to go into a store, whether they're going to have a third party, you know, deliver the product to their house, um, whether they're going to do traditional retail or they might do wholesale club or they might do cash and carry. You know, consumers have changed in the last 18 months. And as we start getting back to a new normal, um, it, it has really been um, chaotic in trying to say, okay, here's what my normal demand for item A is. I normally sell 500 a week, or I normally sell 100 on Monday, 50 on Tuesday, 300 on Wednesday. Those whole processes around what used to be normalized demand is, is really out the window. Um, what we've seen with a lot of the consumer packaged goods suppliers, um, those vendors that had five, six, seven hundred items have now scaled everything back and said, hey, we're only going to make the, our top 200. We're going to discontinue out the, the, the bottom five. So the assortment has been um, cut back a lot because the companies are forced to saying, I can only manufacture X amount of units a day. I can only manufacture X amount of pounds a day. Or at the end of the day, why am I manufacturing something that I sell, you know, 200 cases a year? It's not worth it. So um, it's really forced the whole supply chain around food to change to make sure what do they need to do. And so then, so then what I'm hearing though is it's not necessarily a food shortage and it's not necessarily a, a labor shortage. What you're finding is a, a mix of uh, products in terms of reducing the, the number of products that you know, your, your customers, your manufacturers are carrying because it just simply wasn't worth it, right? It, it's, it's forcing the whole business conversation around is there ROI in a particular product or service and, and, and yes or no. And then I'm also hearing that the demand, you know, the demand from consumers has changed. And so when you when you mix those two things together, what the outcome looks like is there's a food shortage because people are consuming a lot more. Maybe they're hoarding a little bit more because they don't know what's coming around the bend. And then you also have this, hey, well, we're not we're no longer going to support X, Y, Z product anymore because it, it never sold well anyways. And now is a great opportunity for us to pare back our offerings and optimize our business, optimize our, you know, our, our expenses and, and, and our operations. So is that, is that the way you would categorize it? Is that it's a, it's, it's two, two different behaviors that are creating what is visibly shown as a, as a food shortage. Correct. Correct. Wow. All right. Now there is some stuff, you know, we're, we're, we're based in Detroit. So, you know, we're in automotive capital. And the whole chip shortage, right? So you have the the manufacturer producing cars, but the analog brakes aren't working, right? So they're producing the car, parking the lot, waiting for the chips to come in. Um, there's a lot of stuff like that that's going along. So if if a supplier can't produce something because they can't get a part, or if a supplier can't produce something because the ingredients sitting on a boat off the uh, the port of Long Beach, at that point they they're forced to pivot and say, okay, well we have to go do something else, um, and then. It, it's also consumers' um, pace of change and trends of change, right? The, the, in the last 18 months, we've seen the whole work from home, the flexibility of, okay, I, I want to have a healthier diet or, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have uh, meal ready or I don't have time to do it. What can we do? Um, allowing to have, you know, the right food with the right ingredients, with the right dietary restrictions, having all of that information 
is really forced people to change. And if they don't have it, they're going to go on to, to option B or option C, right? Traditionally, they won't say, oh, I'm going to go back to retailer A to get it. Once retailer A doesn't have the product, the consumer goes to retailer B or to even a different channel. But once they start doing that, they'll probably never go back to retailer A. So it's really the, the, that whole evolution. Got it. No, it's interesting how much, you know, I always tell people that um, the world has changed now. It, it's a consumer driven world and it's, it's been like that. That's not anything new. But when you step back and think about how much power consumer behavior and how much power um, consumer purchasing behavior specifically, not just browsing behavior, but purchasing behavior and, and desires, how much of an impact that can have on, on all sorts of uh, portions of the supply chain, which actually brings me to a great point, which is when you think about your business and you think about optimizing, uh, and, and there's two words that come to mind when I think about optimizing, right? One is automation and the other word is integration. So when you think about your business, what changes have you had to make to optimize your business from a standpoint of automation and from a standpoint of integration? Yeah, that's definitely a good point. So what we've seen, once again, back in the last 18 months, a lot of the conversation around, you know, what forced your digital transformation, right? Was it your C-suite? Was it your customer base? Was it um, COVID? And really a lot of people were forced into being able to do stuff lights out, being able to run their business, not forcing in uh, manual processes. So whether you're waiting for accounts receivable associate to process a check, an accounts payable associate to process a check, or a customer service associate to process an order, really being able to keep the product flow and cash flow and information flow, um, regardless of being bottlenecked around associates, whether you're waiting for your employees, customer employees, or any of your vendor partners. Um, it really forced us to go back and look to see where our manual processes were at and really rethink everything. You know, uh, change at LaPerry is, it's in our DNA, right? We adapt and grow at everything that we do. And it really helped us drive to say, hey, we, can, we need to improve this or we need to be able to make sure that this can run without waiting for somebody to have, um, you know, a seat in the chair to turn it on or check, a, check for snail mail or check for an email. Really making sure that we have the technology and processes in place that allowed us to ship cases and procure cases um, as efficiently as possible and as redundant as possible. Yeah, and you know, Mike, you're 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 spot on. You know, the the one thing that we hear all the time. Obviously, my team here at Clio is responsible for the initial touch that we have with prospects who are interested in um, any type of digital transformation effort, any type of you know integration modernization, and the number one thing that we hear on the phones typically is the elimination of manual processes. So um, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think no matter what, right, at the end of the day, people run businesses. And so, um, you know, oftentimes we are nervous about eliminating a manual process because you worry about, hey, what's going to happen to my job if I automate portions of my job? And, and what we find most often is, is the automation doesn't lead to an elimination of roles, an elimination of jobs. It actually leads to a evolution of someone's role. And so as you have looked at some of these manual processes, 
how have you been able to utilize your resources and your labor force to go off and go do more strategic uh, projects or, or other projects that were sitting on the back burner that you just weren't able to get to because you were so busy with these manual processes? Do you have any evidence of being able to do that at La Perry? Yeah, and if, if we just talk order to cash on, on the customer side, right? Um, in the past, so let's, let's just back up 24 months, right? In the past, we'd have a sales associate would walk into a store, meet with a sales uh, department manager and walk through and say, okay, here's your deli order, here's your bakery order. The customer would hand a sheet to our rep and the rep would sit there and, and punch the order, right? Try to read the handwriting, try to read the quantity. We've gone through to, to add scanning to our technology and use order guides or allow the, the retailer to do uh, self-scanning as they walk up and down the order. For us, there is no value having a sales associate punching an order that they, we already earned, right? The retailer filling out a form saying, here's what I want. And then the rep spending 45 minutes to punching that in, that 45 minutes was a waste of interaction because that, that sale was already made. The, the um, evolution of allowing our reps to scan stores, to set stores, to process orders, allowing our retailers to order many ways whether it was their backend HQ system, ordering through EDI, using a self-service portal that we provide, or using uh, any other third-party integration, you know, Clio specifically to get the orders in, we added value to give me the order that you that you have, and let's now go into more of a consultative selling. Let me show you new items. Let me show you new trends. Let me help you with any of your um, business needs. That was a lot better than just sitting down and, and punching in an order. Love it. You know, I was on the phone with the customer the other day and they had done something similar. In fact, um, if, if I, I can't say the name of the customer because I don't have permission to do so, but I believe they are one of your retailers because actually I know they're one of your retailers. And one of the conversations I was having with that CIO is she said they were able to take what they have. Um, I think they call them uh, IT admins, right? So it's a, it's a general admin who's responsible for integration amongst many things. And, and she said, I was able to go from being an IT admin to a steward of the business because now that I'm not focused on processing these orders and doing manual steps, I'm able to actually utilize the brain power and the capacity of that person to go and have business conversations. And this was in an internal context, right? They were having business conversations with the strategy team or with the sales team, but you've done something very similar. You've managed to eliminate manual processes, which hopefully gives you a little bit of more predictability in your business and a little bit more streamlining of your business. But now you're, it's not just about saving cost and optimize. It's, a, it's about providing a better customer experience because now your salesperson is no longer... I, I've seen it before, right? They're sitting in the store, right? And they've got, a, they've got a clipboard or they've got a piece of paper and they're marking things off. And you can tell that they're in sales because they're, they're way more nicely dressed than anybody else in the store. And, but instead now they're engaging with their customer to understand their strategy. They're engaging with the customer to help them sell more. Like you said, setting a product, setting up the, the, the different display units and also talking about categories of product that maybe the retailer, your customer, didn't even know, you know, LaPerry had. And so now they're actually spending more time in a sales role. But guess what? They're actually adding value to that retailer because they're actually talking through the strategy. They're, they're talking through the catalog. So that's, 
that's amazing, right? Because I think a lot of times we just think about, oh my goodness, if I can automate this and now I, I can I can manage with you know 80% of the sales force that I had. No, the, it's the opposite. Now they have more time to do what they're good at, which is being a solution provider to your customers. Correct. And then for us, what we've evolved into is most of our orders that go out have been processed through multiple order sources. So it could it could have been the customer placed the initial order with the sales associate at eight o'clock in the morning, and then nine o'clock they called on the phone, they added on to the order, or they could have ordered a special order or a cross stock that that showed up and merged with the order, or the customer could have used the the self service portal or the the mobile app on their phone. And for us, we just want to be easy to do business with. A lot of organizations would have said, okay, I'm going to go deploy this technology and reduce headcount. For us, it was what can we do to help the retailers order the product from us efficiently? And if, if a store manager is walking their store at nine o'clock at night and they see an item on the shelf they want, they can open up their phone, use the LaPerry technology, order two cases, and we'll ship it to them on their, on their next order. For us, it was about being, uh, being able to solve the need for multiple order sources at any given time to help grow the business and to help take care of our customers. Hey, I'm, I'm not a retailer, but from what I just heard, if I was a retailer, I would want to do business with LaPerry because I could, I could again, provide efficiency for, for my team members ordering, right? like you said, pick up the phone and call, use a computer through a self-service portal, leverage, the, leverage an app to place an order, or guess what? Speak to the salesperson when they're in there and have a, have a great strategic conversation around how we can help them meet the needs of their end consumers, right? You've got people like you and myself who are walking into those stores and the needs are changing of folks and, and all that. So uh, that, you know, the, the ripple effect of implementing technology and, and, and the idea behind implementing technology, not for the sake of implementing technology and not for the sake of saving money, those are, those are great outcomes, but really the driver for implementing technology should be to provide a fantastic customer experience, whoever your customer is. In your case, it's a retailer, right? In the retailer's case, it's a it's a, an actual end consumer. So, you know, you, you you there was no way I was going to allow you, Mike, to join the Integration Chronicles podcast here without talking about integration. So you you mentioned a little bit pockets and pieces of integration, but if if you were to sum up in in thirty seconds to a minute, how has integration or, or what role has integration played in your transformation strategy over the last 18 months? Yeah, so we're a Clio private cloud customer, right? So I'm using that to really um, surround my organization like a bubble. And if I'm doing any data transformation, whether it's orders, whether it's item definitions, whether it's purchase orders, um, whether I'm going upstream to suppliers, um, over to any of our broker or sales associates or downstream to consumers and retailers. Um, we've really used that platform to be able to communicate and um, add business value. Um, so for us as an organization, we've always wanted to make sure that we're easy to do business with um, because that's going to allow us to be able to grow. Um, and Clio has helped us accomplish that goal because we're able to better communicate with both customers and partners in that example. Um, and you really can't put a price on that, right? As long as we can sit at a meeting and say, hey, you know, retailer A, what order format can you give it to me? in? You can give it to me in this same format every time. I don't need you to do anything else. We'll do all the heavy lifting from there. Um, as long as it, you know, as long as the consistent uh, 
consistency in the data. It can't be changing or, or bad data or, or floating information. Um, Totally. What we've also done is we also have to think about the end consumer, right? Because the consumer is either going to walk into a retailer, retailer A, retailer B, you know, buy it online, buy it through uh, a wholesale club or cash and carry, being able to help them plan better through our retail partners. If somebody has a, you know, a party or any dietary restrictions, you know, I, I need a paleo diet or I need a keto diet. Being able to help the consumer know, yes, if I go to retailer A, they have the products that I need. It's in stock and it's ready to go and where it's at in the store, making that consumer's life easier helps drive them to our retail partners. And it's really thinking of the end result, the consumer driving into the retailer and the retailer pulling the business through the parry. So we really think of it end to end. I love it. I love it. And, and um, I, I appreciate you talking about Clio. That was not my intention there at all. I just want to understand how you think about integration, but Yes, you're right. You are a Clio customer, and and I know we've we've uh, powered a lot of these integrations that you speak of, and a lot of the um, the 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 different endpoints that your business touches, and and how that all gets aggregated into the the back end of Laperry. Now we've got about two minutes left on this episode, Mike, and I have to ask a question. So every time I speak to you, I learn something new, and and I, and I'm not just saying that because I did. I just learned a lot about how a food and especially food wholesale distributor thinks about their business, right? I, I've always just think about your, your retailer, but you've kind of expanded my thought process even beyond that retailer um, down to the end consumer, right? And, and that's just not something I always always think about because as a, as a B2B software company and, and a provider of B2B integration solutions, we're typically thinking about the business, not the business's customer. And, and so you've opened my eyes to a couple of areas. You know, as you sit here today, somebody who has been, you know, you've got, you know, years and years of experience, I want to say close to 14 years working at LaPerry and, and understanding the food wholesale distribution, as well as, you know, those uh, beyond those 14 years dealing with integration technology, dealing with ERPs and dealing with CRM systems and even corporate and business strategy. What specific advice do you have for your peers out there today? Yeah, so for us, you know, don't be afraid of data, right? You being have have as much data as you want. Um, you know, disk space is cheap, knock on wood. Same thing with you know, with you know, cloud technology and this and that. But being able to have the information and doing something with it and making sure that the, the data is accurate. Um, you have to drive business value in everything that you do. Um, so we really um, are always looking, is you know, is the can we raise the bar? Is there something that we're missing? What can we do to help our retailer partners? What can we do to help our um, consumers drive value? And you know, having the right technology partners, being able to modernize where we can modernize, uh, for us is really important. Fantastic. So, so modernization. Joke, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no worries. We always joke that you know, Clio has kept us future ready, and in, in in our world, we're we're an IBM shop. So. DB2, life is good, it's solid. You know, we're future ready with Clio because of APIs. And in our world, an API stands for another person's issue. Um, just because it, it just runs. So it's one of those things of just being able to make sure that you can leverage technology where you can, being able to modernize it and make sure that you're future ready um, really is what adds business value. Um, you know, we believe in information technology, not imitation technology. So being sure that it works, that it's scalable, 
that it can grow the business and it can be accurate is very important to us. I love it. I love it. There's some great tidbits in there, right? In, you know, information technology, not imitation technology, another person's uh, issues. So, um, Mike, you know, one of the things, so first of all, really appreciate you joining today. Um, I know it's a little bit late in the evening for you. You're getting ready for the holidays, which I, I can't even imagine how busy your, your uh, business is. You know, holidays are right around the corner here. Um, one of the things that we've been talking a lot about is how businesses have to rethink their business. And I think uh, you have managed to help your organization rethink the business and not in the standpoint of change which markets you're going after and change you know, who you are in terms of the, the roots and, and the core differentiation and the core service you provide, but rethink how you, how you deliver your business, right? And so I can definitely appreciate that, especially uh, from somebody who um, has to play and straddle that technology and business side. You know, I always like to end every single podcast session with a quirky question that is out of the blue. And I'm today I'm going to go to my go-to. So uh, for those listeners out there, this is not something Mike and I prepared for. So I am literally hitting him, blindsiding him here. But Mike, if there was one Sesame Street character that describes who you are, which Sesame Street character would, would you be characterized as? I would have to say Oscar the Grouch because people leave you alone. They're, I like that. I like that. Right. It's just it's a good uh, persona that people, uh, you know, just, just let him be and, and let him do his thing. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, integration chronicles, uh, podcast here. We just ended our session with Mr. Michael Hagerty from LaPerry foods. He is a vice president of technology and, uh, just a, just a fantastic individual. Mike, thank you so much for joining today. I appreciate it. Happy holidays to, to you and your family and the best of luck as you get into your busy season. Thank you, Tushar.